wanted y'all to see a picture. And so take a look at the screen. Have any of y'all stayed at this place or visited this place? You may be like, uh, no, but I bet you have. So let me tell you just a little bit about this place. There's this man who had this dream. It was this place called the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. It was the brainchild of this visionary. He had built an empire in the United States. And one day as he was sitting there looking at his grandchildren, he began to watch the news and see how things were changing. How these major cities that he knew his grandkids were going to grow up in, they weren't sustainable. They were getting really dirty. They were crime-ridden, and he was worried. So he began to read books at his home about how to build cities. He brought all these bright people together, agriculturalists, city planners, water maintenance people. And he decided that he was going to build a city that stayed at the very tip-top of productivity, of technology, of civil thinking. He was going to build his own city. And he was going to introduce people from all over the world to it. He wanted every culture to come, and he wanted to see how they could participate together to build a broader future. And so he decided, let's look around where we're going to build it. He was an American, so he wanted to build it on American soil. So he got together and he made up about eight or nine different new companies without his name on it, and he purchased land in Florida. He went around and he convinced everybody around that he was going to build this city and it was going to be what every city should become. It was going to have some new things that no other city had. These features would include an urban center with a tower in the middle of it where you could come in and learn how to build stuff, learn how to be productive, get educated. It had a green belt around it. Around the whole city was going to be agriculture. He wanted every citizen to not only be trained in some kind of civil skill, but he also wanted them to learn how to plant potatoes. Every person should know these things. They had an industrial park, a, a place where these educated people could work and live. And it also had something that had never been built before on American soil, a monorail. He didn't want a bunch of cars driving around. He wanted people to walk, ride bikes. And if they needed to get from one place to the other, jump on a monorail instead of driving your car. Sadly, before its completion, this man died. And what should have been perhaps the greatest city in the United States became nothing more than a theme park. I mean, it's just like that. A place of promise became a place of ticket booths. I asked you if you had been to this place, and I bet a bunch of you have. You see, this place that was supposed to be called the experimental prototype community of tomorrow became Epcot. You may have visited it. Walt Disney wanted it to be a different place. Where he wanted people to live and thrive became a place of tickets and lines. It did keep a little bit of what he wanted, diversity. I mean, you can walk into Epcot and go through Germany, China, but it's not what he wanted it to be. You see, promise is something interesting. And it's what I want to give you seniors today. I, I had such an awesome time, and, and I've shared this with y'all before. This past year, the church was gracious enough to let me go and teach the juniors at San Jack. And, uh, man, I had from about 
Christmas to the end of school to spend time with these students. And man, I loved it. I, there's two things about it that I want to tell y'all. I did not want to do it at all. Um, I didn't think that really uh, they needed somebody like me there. They needed somebody hip and cool. Um, I, I've got the dad bod and card at this point. Um, coolness is not a part of my resume anymore. I walked in that first day. I needed like three students in that whole class. By the end of it, uh, our last day was watching a bunch of our current seniors play baseball in what we call the fireside room. Um, at the end of the game, a bunch of my juniors were up front. We cheered, and it was over. And as they left out of the room, it was like, you know, like the worst Hallmark movie ever. It was like, goodbye. And this past week, I turned in my fob, which is the key entrance to the school. My wife has been on staff there for ever since we got to Amarillo, and she can get into any you know, building, click, and she's in. I had privilege for once in my life. I could walk into any building at the school. I felt so important. And I turned in that fob, and I, a little tear rolled down my face. I was like, oh. It wasn't morning juniors at that point. It was just I couldn't get into the buildings anymore. It was tragic. For those of y'all that have been to the school, you realize that's a thing. But I got to tell my juniors all the things I hoped they would get. And so today, if you will permit me, I want to talk to the seniors. I want to talk to you guys that I've got to be around for a while and maybe give y'all a little bit of stuff you've probably heard your parents tell you to this point. But maybe you'll hear it again and be drawn to the truth that's in it. You are full of promise. Right now, you are full of promise. The plans are there. You've been invested in plenty. Believe me, I know your parents. They're good people. I love them. I like spending time with them. But now it's your job to finish the plan or become Epcot. I mean, y'all can become anything on this planet. You can change the world. And believe me, I hope you'll hear this. I do not believe people outside of Christ change the world that often. But I believe Jesus' followers instantly changed the world. They changed the world in other fields than just standing behind pulpits. We need people that change the world with Jesus' name in every field of every place. I mean, listen, every person in this room graduated high school except for our younger ones. Look around. Any tint of white hair or colored hair? I'm not judging. Um, we, We graduated. And we hoped that we would change the world more than we did today. So hear us. In a sea of Epcots, be a city. Be a city. Build, dream, but do it in his name. Elijah shows up and he is given the reins of the greatest blueprints in history. I mean, he's following Elijah. Elijah finishes so well that God just takes him before he dies. That's insanity. This is an awesome moment in history. And he leaves behind Elijah, who at this point in his life has seen God do amazing things. Things that we may seem as insignificant in our world were big in people's worlds. Floating axe heads. That's, that's insanity. Like God just does crazy things. Don't ever forget, Elijah's also the guy. He just finishes an amazing moment in history, and he's walking, and these young people come out and say to him, Hey, Baldy, what's up, Baldy? Look at Baldy walk. And Elijah goes, You know what? 
Lord, I'm tired of these kids. And bears come out and maul them. Insanity. It's good moments in a world of Epcot's. Be a city. When Elijah ends his life, we pick it up in 2 Kings 13. It's this crazy moment in history because really most people when they die do something like this. David, he kind of talks about his history. He says, these are the people that fought with me, men who died with me. And then it says, and he was gathered unto his fathers and he was buried. And then we get uh, guys like Moses who tells the people, hey, listen, don't forget to follow after God. And he recites to them everything that they've done in the wilderness. And then it says, and he was gathered unto his people and he died. And then we get to Elijah, who at the end of his life is spent doing something pretty insane. There's this king that shows up, and he is not a good guy. In fact, we get that from the scripture. It says he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So this guy is not even trying to build the, the, the city. He is Epcot moving around. And he's going to the city guy. And he says to him these crazy things. And Elijah is about to breathe life into him. So let's look at it together. Second uh, Kings 13, starting with verse 14, it says this. When Elijah became sick with the illness for which he died. Isn't that a great start to a, like a passage of scripture? Elijah gets a sickness. He will die from this sickness. And we continue. King Jehoash of Israel went down and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. What he's really saying is, what do we do now? What should we do? Elijah responded, get a bow and arrows. So he got a bow and arrows. Then Elijah said to the king of Israel, grasp the bow. So the king grasped and Elijah put his hands on the king's hands. Elijah said, open the east window. And so he opened it. And Elijah said, shoot. So he shot. Then Elijah said, the Lord's arrow of victory, yes, the arrow of victory over Aram. You are to strike down the Arameans in Aphek until you have put an end to them. Then Elijah said, take the arrows. So he took them, and Elijah said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him, and he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times, and you have struck down Aram until you put an end to them. But now you strike down Aram only three times. And then Elijah died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to come into the land in the spring of every year. Once, as the Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a raiding party. So they threw the man into Elijah's tomb. And we touched Elijah's bones. The man revived and stood up. I want you to know something. Even in Elijah's death, God had something to do with him. And I just want you to know something. You seniors, you people of promise that are in this room with us, you graduates of college, you are people of such promise, and God wants to use your life so mightily. But I believe it's with all of my heart. God will always use people who make their hearts readily available to him. His eyes search for these people. He looks for them. He looks after them, he pursues them, and he goes after them for one big purpose. Can he strengthen them to use them mightily? God wants to strengthen you. God wants to use you, and God wants you to know that you are valuable to him. He's going to change the world 
and he wants to change the world through you. So let's look at what the scripture tells us. First is this, every future has an author. Every future has an author, and the funny thing about it is you're going to run into people all over your life. They're going to claim that they're the author. I'm a self-made man, which is such a lie. There is no such thing. There's always somebody's shoulders people stand on. Uh, For me in my life, it came with a grandmother who raised three boys in New Mexico, and they were rough, and they were crazy, and they didn't have any clue about it, but their mom was a nurse. She ironed clothes. She took care of an oil-filled husband who had a drinking problem early on, and she sacrificed and worked and loved this family. That was my grandmother. Or perhaps it's somebody like this, a man who went off to war in Korea, and he came back and he raised up a family and he kept them in church every day and he was a faithful man, like my grandfather on my mother's side. Or how about like this, a, a young man who while in high school didn't have any church home to call home, so he hitchhiked uh, to church with another family who dropped him off at another church and would pick him up after church from that church and take him out to eat and then home. That was my father. There is no such thing as self-made people. You were created by a loving God, and you stood on the shoulders of amazing people. Or like this, today, we're not sitting in a room that we bought. We're sitting in a room that other people gave time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears for. Even the pew you sit in wasn't probably bought by you or by me. You know, I was the other day looking around. I often walk around the halls and pray at our church. I was walking the circle around our sanctuary, and I came to look down the children's wing of our church, and the carpet there's wrinkled. Y'all may have noticed that. And it always kills me. I had a carpet guy come look at it, and you can't, you can't, you know, kind of lay it back flat because it'll just rip. That carpet was put in our church in 1983. 83, the carpet you're standing on today was laid the same year. And we have a plan in place as we go down the road to kind of replace some flooring and, you know, update. And then I started to think through how many great people of faith walked these halls. How many great people who prayed over this church walked up that hallway and into the sanctuary. I remember one day coming into the sanctuary as a new staffer here and seeing Stan Coffey pray over our church right over there on his knees. I mean, that carpet's pretty special to me. I mean, it's the same carpet that my kids came forward and declared their relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe your kids. Maybe you. You see... We all have somebody that's built us. But here's the thing. You were created by a loving God. Who wants to author your story? He wants to show you that there's a better way. He wants to change you from being an Epcot into a city. He wants to show you that there is a bright future in front of you. And the question is this. Will you take it? It'd be like this. If I told you that right now I had $50,000 in my back pocket, I don't, by the way. Um, 
But the first person that declared that they would come and vacuum the whole church for the next three weeks, I would give it to them. Don't you think I'd have a line? But we serve a God who owns it all. And yet we don't line up for his purposes. Elijah, when he signed up to be a prophet, didn't know what it entailed. He didn't know what the outcome would be. He didn't even know what the future would look like. All he knew was this. God had called him. Remember, he burned everything. He, he even uh, sacrificed his oxen. He cuts everything up. Everything is gone. He has nothing to go back for. And he pursues God with everything he has. The question I think that lies before you seniors is this. If you're going to build a city, at some point you got to leave home. you got to pursue it. And I'm not saying leave your mom's home because she's sitting right next to you and I would never tell you to leave home. Stay at home. Stay at home. You stay at, stay at home. 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 That was for your mom's sake, okay? Your dads are like, get him out. Um, <laughs> but I got to tell you, you got to embark to build a city. You got to buy the land. To build the city, you got to install your life into what it takes to build a city. Hebrews 12 says this about God, that he is the author and finisher of our faith, which means this, he knows your next chapters better than you do. Some of you are going away from home. I mean, Arkansas, that's a long way from me, brother. I mean, I mean I've already talked to your mom. They're going to be in Arkansas. You know this at some point, right? Like, you're going to be walking campus. Mom's going to be like, Jayden, right? Uh, it's going to happen, but you're okay with that. I, I know you are. Um, but here's the thing, for you seniors, for you graduates of college, at some point your parents are asking you to quit looking to them to write your story. At some point you're going to have to do this, and you're going to be a terrible author. You need Jesus. You're going to need him. You're going to have to depend upon him. I went out to Dallas Baptist. I thought I was a pretty you know, well-to-do kid. My sister had gone to Dallas Baptist. She had graduated there. I did not want to go there because she went there, and then I went there. Um, I showed up on campus. I had a roommate, walked in. We are like, what's up? We went to this carpet remnant shop, got carpet remnant for our whole dorm room, which was a big mistake because all they had was blue shag carpet. We bought it. It was awesome. Two weeks in, he goes, hey, I grew up with a bunch of guys, and their roommate just left, so I'm going to spend most of my time there So my first semester I went back to a dorm room alone. I, I thought I had my story written out. Second semester, I came back to school, and they gave me a new roommate, Po Wong. Po Wong did not speak English. It was an interesting first few weeks. Um, I would say, Po, let's go eat, and he would go, yes. And I'd go, let's go, and he'd go, Yes. I'm going to go eat. Yes. Okay. Bye, Poe. Uh, it took us a while. We learned uh, some small communications. But it wasn't the story that I wanted. I had a perfect story in place. I had written my story. I was going to graduate. I was going to be a coach. I was going to be a teacher because I sure didn't want to be a pastor because my dad was that and I didn't want to be that. 
So every job I got was in a church. You know, that and Golfsmith, um, for those of y'all that golfed, um, those are my two big jobs I got. Um, and then one day I was in class, in, in kinesiology class, and they set a test before us, and I was like, I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> I'm in the wrong path. And I went up to the professor, and I was like, I could lie and just go A, B, C, D, and he goes, just do that. And I filled it out. I got an 85. <laughs> After class uh, was over, I told him, I was like, I'm not going to pursue this. He goes, yeah, I wouldn't if I was you. And I was like, thanks. And I got a call to go back home to Odessa. I didn't want to go back home to Odessa. I, I wanted to leave Odessa behind. But I got to serve at the BSM in Odessa with a great man named Trent Young, who became a mentor and a friend. It wasn't my story, but God was authoring. I want to tell you something, seniors. Be okay with God being the author. He's really good at it. Count upon him for it. And when a, a chapter turns and you just don't know what to do, go back to the author. Because we make bad authors. You're going to hear this to take your shot. But let me tell you, taking our shot in life is to be inspired by something other than self-fulfillment. You'll find in life that the more you try and pursue yourself, the more you're going to find it's an empty dorm room. There's this great man. He was a doctor. He was known as being rather untidy in his research lab. One particular day, he was working to kind of figure out this, this like strand of disease that was going around. He saw a lot of his contemporaries dying, and it bothered him. So in the summer of 1928, as he had spent hours and hours working in these microscopes, he just got tired. And so he took all of the um, stacks of cultures and put them on this bench, in his lab, and he left for the month of August to go on vacation with his family. So it was 1928. After August, he comes back to his lab. He turns the light on, and he realizes in the corner were all of these, you know, cultures that he had left out instead of throwing away. And like most scientists, he would have taken those and just instantly put them in the trash, but he was no ordinary doctor. And so instead, he grabbed them. He began to look under the microscope and in it, he began to see that a mold had grown. And where that mold had grown, this disease had pushed away from it. It had killed off most of it. Each one, he looked at the same thing. He ran over to his lab partner and showed him and said, can you see this? And he goes, man, you've discovered something. So for the next few months, he began to work on this mold, and he kind of developed it up, and he gave it a name. He called it mold juice. I know, you're thinking, that sounds like something I would put in my body. And then a few months later, as he had to write in the journals about it, he changed its name. And in the name change, he gave it a new thought, penicillin. His name, Alexander Fleming. In that summer of 1928, an oversight became a lifesaver. Sometimes in our pursuit of taking our shot, we realize that God has a chapter we haven't even understood yet. And in Elijah's life, he got that. He tells this king, listen, here's what you're to do at the end of your life. You're to take this bow and you're to fire it out the window. And he was obedient then. Prior to that, he had no obedience, but now he is being obedient to what God's man had told him. And he said, shoot out the window, and he took his shot. And then he says to him, take the arrows. 
and strike them to the ground. You just see this moment. This prideful king grabs up his arrows and he's like, here is my shot. One, two, three. And he stands up and goes, yes! And Elijah goes, no. You should have worn him out. You should have extinguished every arrow you had. This was your shot. And you barely even took it. Some people would look at this scripture and say, well, why didn't Elijah just tell him, break the arrows on the ground? Because the same thing's going to happen your first day in class. It's going to be your shot to break your arrows or not. To wake up and go to class, to wake up on Sunday and go to church, to make the right decisions, to avoid the wrong people. Everybody holds arrows in their hands, and frankly, as as somebody who has been there and done that, I'll tell you there's way too many of us holding unbroken arrows in our hands. And so what should have been the greatest victory in history becomes a three-win war. God is looking for people who are willing to fall into full devotion. I mean, that, that is your calling right now, seniors. Hear me in this. You can't go back now. Your school is going to go on without you next year, which is probably the hardest thing to imagine because y'all have built it. You have built the long hours of showing up and going to class and being a part of societies and clubs and teams and orchestras and choirs. You've done it. But next year, they're going to reload. And when they reload, you're not going to be there. I saw my juniors just the other day. You're about four years away from going back to a high school football game and realizing that all the cheerleaders look like they're juniors, uh, little juniors in, in elementary school. You're going to go back and be like, when did they get so young? They used to look like me, and now they look like children. Four years. I promise you it'll happen. Here's the other thing. There's going to be a time, and I, I want you to hear this in my full heart, where you'll show up to a graduation and you'll see the fanfare and you'll go, they graduated high school because life happens. Because rarely do people build cities. They become Epcots. You've heard the term, they sold out. That's Epcot. What should have been great, what should have been promised, what should have been awesome, became like anything else. Maybe you don't know this. But you should hear it. As Walt Disney was building this city, he built three feature things for it that he took to the World's Fair. The world of tomorrow, this ride that you can go see of all the things that are going to occur in the future. But his most prized possession was the calling card for the nations to come to this new city, a thing that they could walk into and figure out that they all live in one place together because after all, it's a small world after all. That became nothing more than a side note to Disney's theme park, probably the number one most hated ride and the number one calling card that Walt Disney built for the world to show up to his city. God is going to call you, and you may not like the way he calls you, I remember as a sophomore in college, I did not like God's calling. 
I wanted to be anything else than a minister. I, I could think of no other place that I'd rather be than at a church trying to help serve people. For those of y'all that heard my story, I didn't like what they did to my dad. I remember going home at nights and telling my dad, why are you doing this? You've got an accountant's degree. Go back to being an accountant. Like, we can do anything we want if you're an accountant. And I remember my dad saying this to me. He goes, Kyle, I don't think you get this. God called me to this. I can't do anything else but that. So as a sophomore at DBU, before I got back into my car with all of my junk in the back of my truck, I finally just told God in my dorm room. I remember rolling up that shag carpet and finding all these little mini lizards that had died underneath it. It's quite a burial procedure. But I uh, rolled it up and handed it to the guy down the hall and said, man, if you want it, he goes, yes. And I was like, good luck with the lizards. Um, I walked back into my room and it was completely empty. I said, God, if this is what it took for me to follow you as an empty dorm room at DBU, for me to say yes, Fine. Convince my heart to be obedient. And he did. Because God's a good author. He's a good author, y'all. Here's the last thing. The role of a Christian is not to come alive. It's to bring life to those around them. Let me hear you. I just want you to hear this. God did not need Elijah's bones to come alive at the end of this story. He doesn't need us. He made you alive in him. What he needs is your life to make a difference, to make others come alive. So, in a world of Epcots, we're giving y'all the option. You've got people in this room, and you'll find people in your life that'll help you build your city. Don't settle for Epcot. We beg of y'all, make big of Jesus and build your city. We will all show up for it because it really is a small world. And God loves you so much. And y'all are such people of promise. And we believe in y'all. Build the city. Build the city. Build the city. Build the city. We'll show up because God is just starting to write an amazing story in y'all. And we want to read it. We want to read it. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for Elijah's life. Lord, how he shows us that we need to live our life to the fullest in obedience to you. So God, that's now our challenge. Lord, we repent of all the times we have so settled in our lives with you. When we should have built cities, we have settled for the Epcot. And God, we repent Lord, we want to show these graduates that we're not done. And so, Father God, help us to build the city. Lord, we pray over them. Lord, we just want them to feel encouraged and challenged and supported to know that we still want to see like you still want to see what it looks like when people are fully devoted to you. And Lord, may they build the city you called them to build. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.